This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it is Rebecca and Tara, and today's topic, we almost blew right past it. However, <laughs> today's topic is uh, nonfiction November. So that is what we'll be talking about today. And Tara, I'm going to say good morning because, you know, this is a not normal for us to record in the morning, but Liverpool plays today and I want to watch them. So we are <laughs> up early this morning. Anyway, good morning. And how are you? Good morning, Rebecca. I am good, thank you. I got my coffee beside me and my notes, which I had to do last night because I'm like, don't leave it till early in the morning because you won't do it. <laughs> and then it would be and, too early. To and get then up. it would have been too early. Well, I would have. I get up early anyways to yeah. sneak in. This is when I get the majority of my reading time done. I'll be honest. So I'm always up early, but. I don't usually like to be productive. Like I like to just make coffee and read my book. Don't ask me to like do something in the morning early. So can I just thank you for sacrificing your morning reading so that I could watch Liverpool today? You're <laughs> welcome. You. I did sneak in some reading anyway, so it's all good. All good. good. Before we start discussing like our nonfiction books that we want to read in the future, can I ask you about your recent nonfiction reading. Yeah. And you know, I looked over my nonfiction reading and remember how about halfway through the year, I think I was shocked by how little nonfiction I had read. Yeah. Yeah. I'm shocked. I was. Yeah. It is still shocking. I have hardly read any nonfiction this year. And I, the last one I read was Adam Schultz's new book. And that's the last one. And then when I went back and looked, the previous one to that was something like February. So it's crazy how I have not really been reading my beloved nonfiction. However, I am still currently reading Barack Obama, his memoir. And over Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving is the end of uh, November here. Well, actually, it's this year, I think it's the 23rd of November. Anyway, I will be driving to Atlantic City for a concert, and I will be listening to Barack Obama, and I will finish off his book because it's so freaking long. It's really I will finish long. it on my trip there and back. So it's a, like a 10-hour drive, so I will, get, I will get it in. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's wild how little nonfiction you've read. I'm shocked. Yeah. So I think clearly next year's reading uh, one of my reading goals has to be more nonfiction. So how about you? What have you read? Yeah, most recently. My recent most recent one, I think you're going to be surprised. I am too. I don't know. It showed up on my TBR and I got it from the library. Is What I Talk About When I Talk About Running by Haruki hmm. Murakami. Wow. Right? Yes. So I have not read any other of his books. Mm -hmm. Right. I know you have read in the last year or so, or maybe last year, you read one of his books. Mm -hmm. He was all over Instagram at some point, like it, but um, I've never read any of his fiction. But I picked up this nonfiction of his because he's like an avid runner mm -hmm. and the subject interested me and I really enjoyed it. 
it's uh, I like his writing style and I actually now I'm looking like it's on my radar to read more of his writing is yeah. look into his fiction now. And is this how what type of book is this like is he talking about the like the sort of metaphysical part of it or spiritual part of running or or what is it really about that's interesting. It's a little bit of both like he'll actually he he talks about like really how he feels sometimes like physically as he's Mm -hmm. running because he's he runs at least one marathon a year he has done I think one ultra marathon and he also has done now this book was published in 2008 so it's an older book so I don't know at the moment what his running Mm -hmm. is like and he's um at that time also doing triathlons so he's like a very physically fit and invested person but he also talked about his writing and how he started writing and a little bit about his writing process and how running and writing both fit into his day and also aging as he's running and running when he's aging yeah it was really fascinating yeah it's uh yeah like I was like, oh, that's a nice little quote because it was a library book, so I couldn't underline it. So I just, okay, I'm going to pick one quote that I wrote down. Just because there's an end doesn't mean existence has meaning. An end point is simply set up as a temporary marker or perhaps as an indirect metaphor for the fleeting nature of existence. I was just, it, I just like his writing. Yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah. And it's a short book, so it's not like this massive chonker of a book. Like it was just, and each chapter was set up around a race that he was running or preparing for. Oh my gosh, that yeah. is really. And you're a runner, so you would really, uh, that would really yeah. resonate with you. I'm, sh- I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I've my running has taken a backseat with the back injury recently, so yeah. I'm now more of a speed walker. Mm-hmm. But still, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, that's really fascinating. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Well, today what we decided to do was to each bring five nonfiction books we are looking forward to reading. And I cannot wait to jump on mine because I have some, what I think are some phenomenal sounding books and I'm sure you would do as well. So I'm going to let you go first. Why don't you start? I I want you to start. If you're like, Okay. Yeah. Yes, I'm very excited. So you're very excited. I I am too. Not that I'm not excited, people, but Rebecca also made an observation to me before we started recording, and I would like you to start off with that too. I think that's a good way to start off the our okay. discussion. I don't know what did I say. <laughs> I don't remember. about subtitles. Oh, that's right. Thank you for mentioning. <laughs> I don't. I, it's early morning. I'm retired. Early. What can I say? No. I what I noticed is if you just give the basic title. Uh, of a nonfiction book, forget it. You won't even know what the book is about. However, if yep. you read the entire long title, then it, it like it gives the reader something to be excited about. However, my first book I'm going to talk about has two words in the title, no no subtitle. But I'm going to talk about. I know I, after all that, it's like okay. But the, this one, I was just uh, recently in making my way to London for Adam Schultz's book talk. And I stopped in Sarnia at my favorite independent bookstore, The Bookkeeper in Sarnia. And I thought, well, I have to go look at the nonfiction section because usually those are books I'm most likely 
not going to be able to find in my libraries here in Michigan. But I found a book called Skid Dogs by Amelia Symington Fetty. And I know this is kind of long, but stay with me on this because it's, I don't know that I could explain this book as well as it does here, but it says, a raw and riveting coming of age story about the wild love of teenage friendships and the casual oppression of 90s rape culture. The author grew up with her girl gang on the railroad tracks of a small town in British Columbia. Unsupervised and wild, the girls explored the power and shortcomings of, quote, best, unquote, friendships and their growing sexuality. Two decades later, an 18-year-old girl is murdered on Halloween on the same tracks and Symington Fetty returns to her hometown to stay with her mother, who is fearful of a murderer at large. When I sort of picked up that book and saw that, and I thought, first of all, I'm all about girl culture right now, right? I'm just mm-hmm. so, you know, that's kind of what's really fascinating me lately. And I just thought this book sounded perfectly fit for what I want to read about. And uh, sounds really wonderful. It does. Uh, I think you shared a picture on Instagram after you visited the bookkeeper. Yeah. And based on that title alone, because I was like, what is that book about? I looked mm-hmm. it up and then instantly added it to my TBR because it does yeah. sound fascinating. Yeah. So that's yeah. my number one book I'm excited to read, uh, nice. hopefully soon, but if not, definitely in 2024. Awesome. Okay. The first one that I have on my list, which will be my next nonfiction read, is Invisible Boy. A Memoir of Self-Discovery by Harrison Mooney. So this one, I think, was lent to me by my aunt, and it recently was a finalist for the Governor General Award for nonfiction. Yes. I haven't haven't heard of it. Yeah. It's so funny. She had lent it to me, and I put it on my stack. And then I saw the uh, shortlist for the Governor General's Award about a month or so ago, and I was like, wait a minute, that book looks familiar. And I went and there it was. So, And it was also the winner of the 2023 Rakuten Kobo Emerging Writers Prize for nonfiction. Ooh. Yes. So a quick little setup. Yeah. Harrison Mooney was born to a West African mother and adopted as an infant by a white evangelical family. As a child, his racial identity as black is mocked and he is forced to participate in his family's revivalist church. After years of internalized anti-blackness, Mooney begins to reconsider his history, culminating in a reunion with his biological mother. It is described as a black coming-of-age narrative set in a world with little love for black children. Wow. Yeah, it sounds... really sounds great. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to starting that one. Because I think it addresses something that you know, you sort of know, but mm-hmm. until you just read that, I hadn't really thought about it. But yeah, with the evangelical side of the world, and certainly here in the United States, I can totally understand the anti-blackness. Yeah. And like the, like a black child being adopted by a white family, especially a white, like Christian family. Yeah. Fascinates me. We watch this show that's on in the summer times, um, American Ninja Warrior like a reality athletic thing, right? It's one of my favorite shows. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you guys watched that. I didn't know you watched it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, from the beginning. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so anyways, like they always, part of this show loves, in addition to like their athletic prowess, they love to show the 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 athlete's story, right? Like the story yeah. behind the athlete. So you always get glimpses of their past and their family history and stuff like this. And it was this past summer I was watching and I was surprised at how many of the athletes of color who have been ad- adopted have been adopted by white Christian families mm-hmm. in the U.S. And I was like, well, wow, this is kind of weird. Like, it, it would seem to be a trend. Like, they were adopted by these large, also like large, they weren't families that it was a couple who just couldn't have children, but they were like large white families that then adopted children of color. It, it just I, it stuck in my head. I couldn't figure it out. I will say the ones on Ninja Warrior, those they're very close families. They appear to be. They yes. support their their athletes and their children in that way. But it's not always like this book sounds like not always a pretty picture for the children growing up in those households. So, yeah. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to read that one. Yeah, it sounds really good. Okay, next for you. So my next one is. Last night, I got to go see my favorite comedian, Gary Gullman, and he has written a memoir. And now, of course, like a doofus, I thought, yes, I wanted to buy the book to support him, but now I want to listen to the audio book because it's him reading it. So, And he's so funny. But anyway, it was great. He's hilarious. He's a six foot six comedian. And anyway, he's really, really funny. And it is Misfit, Growing Up Awkward in the 80s. And it says... A tour de force of comedy and reflection about the perilous journey from kindergarten to 12th grade and beyond, from the beloved stand-up comic and creator of the Great Depression for years, Gary Goldman had been the comedian's comedian, acclaimed for his delight in language and his bracing honesty. But after two stints in a psych ward, he found himself back in his mother's house in Boston, living in his childhood bedroom at age 46, as he struggled to regain his mental health. That's where Misfit begins. Then it goes way back. This is no ordinary book about growing older and growing up. Gullman has an astonishing memory and takes the reader through every year of his childhood education with obsessively detailed stories that are in turn alarming and riotously funny. And I will say he started out last night. It was hilarious with saying how much when he was younger, Jerry Seinfeld, I guess, wrote a memoir and he was so excited and he read the book and he was so mad because it was basically just Jerry's stand-up written on mm. paper, he said. So he makes this big joke about how his stand-up, this uh, show that he's touring with, touches on his childhood because, of course, he's promoting his book. But he said, you will not be upset with me because the book is different than the, than his performance last night. Yeah. So I cannot wait to read it. I was hoping to read it before I went, but I was worried that it was going to be his act and I didn't want to spoil anything in advance. And it wasn't apparently. And I cannot wait to read it. He is to me, he, he is a lover of language and he doesn't, he doesn't swear much. And that's kind of unusual, right? Because he even said for him that sometimes to say a swear word is an easy laugh. And he is in love with language 
his vocabulary is amazing and it's hilarious because he uses words that you probably don't hear the average comedian use, which makes it even funnier. So anyway, yeah. huge, huge, huge fan of Gary Goldman. I love memoirs written by comedians. Okay. I don't know that I've ever read one. I'm not sure if I have. I don't even know. I really love them. Like some of, I think those were the first memoirs I read. Wow. I would just read ones mostly by female comedians. I love them. Yeah. So um, I have not followed his career, but I remember him from Last Comic Standing, mm-hmm. right? Because he was the good looking one too. <laughs> yeah, so I is. remember him from um, Last Comic Standing. And then I hadn't followed his career after that. And then you mentioned this book and I was like, oh yeah. And now based on your description now, I'm like, I'm reading that book. It sounds really good. I mean, I have the book, but I think I want to really get it in audio because I think it's just hear him do it is going to be even funnier, I think. So yeah. Nice. Good choice. Good choice. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I could not bring nonfiction books to the podcast and not bring a bird book. I had to, yeah, (laughs) I had to whittle it down. I have like at least three on my like TBR. It's kind of sad and weird actually. But anyways, okay. I'm going to give you the full title as well. So what an owl knows the new science of the world's most enigmatic birds by Jennifer Ackerman. And it's a beautiful cover. It's owl. It's an owl. Oh, I can imagine. Cover. It's beautiful. So she has written, I th- I've read at least one of her books. I may have read both of them, actually. The Genius of Birds and The Bird Way. I just, I love her bird books, obviously. Mm-hmm. And this one tells the extraordinary story of how we've come to understand owls, their biology, brains, and behavior. It is an exploration of owls across the globe and through human history, and a brilliant account of thrilling new insights into the science of their hunting skills, communication, sensory prowess, and other adaptations for survival. Again, excellent choice. And I really, when you read the book and you talk about it on the podcast, make sure you include, give us some little, you know, Oh, little tidbits? Yeah, little gems that you go, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing about owls because I love birds too. Uh, I'm a bird feeder and a bird watcher and stuff. So I cannot wait to hear what comes out of that book. That sounds, yeah, because owls are really, they are really fascinating. Because, you know, we always think of owls as these sweet little characters that sit in trees and then they're vicious man they've got those claws and and they're like hunters man they are definitely are yeah and how many of us get to see them you you rarely get to see an owl right and there's some of them are so huge but then they're so light because of their bones and the feather you know it's just they are fascinating Mm -hmm. so i will as i'm reading through that one i'll be taking notes to give you the best uh little tidbits of info yeah and have you actually seen one in the wild because i don't think i ever have no, I don't think I have either. Like, I think I've seen them in a, um, at a conservation, we have a conservation area close, he- close by mm-hmm. that has a raptor section for rehabilitation. So I think I've seen one there when we visited, but never in the wild. No. Yeah, same here. Yeah. They, as, as you said, they are enigmatic for sure. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. I know, actually, once I read the subtitle, I'm like, oh, actually, the subtitle does say everything about the book. I didn't need to give you a description, but I'd written the description, so you got it anyways. 
Well, no, we always want the description. No, I say we do. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's, here's one. This is the longest one I think so far I have for subtitle. So back in April, I decided to just go on a whim trip to Cincinnati. I'd never been to Cincinnati, Ohio before. And I went to the, Oh gosh, now I've forgotten the name of it. It's the Underground Railroad Freedom Center Museum, basically. And it was fabulous. It was about historical slavery, modern day slavery. It was, I mean, it just had so many components to it. I'm going to not do it justice. So I am putting a link to the place in the show notes. But anyway, of course, when I was done, and I actually stayed at the center way longer than I thought I was going to because it was just so fascinating. And of course, I had to go to the bookstore, I mean, to the museum shop. And I bought this book called Driving the Green Book, A Road Trip Through the Living History of Black Resistance. And it says, for countless Americans, the open road has long been a place where dangers lurk. In the era of Jim Crow, black travelers experienced locked doors, hostile police, and potentially violent encounters almost everywhere in both the South and the North. From 1936 to 67, millions relied on the Negro Motorist Green Book, the definitive guide to businesses where they could safely rest, eat, or sleep. And then it says, Elvin Hall set out to revisit the world of the Green Book to instruct us all on the real history of the guide that saved many lives. And I know that there was a movie, I don't remember the title of it, but there was a movie that was sort of based on the Green Book, I think. Yeah. Was it just called the Green Book? Maybe it was. You know, it's funny. I just thought of it now and and if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But I think it might have been. And and to be honest with you, I had never heard of it until I saw that movie. And so when I saw this book, I thought, totally have to read this book. It'll fill in all the gaps, of course, that a movie can't can't give you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing about that one, actually. It sounds good. All right. Okay. This next one also will come as no surprise if you can think of my reading (laughs) goals. Okay. It is Agatha Christie, A Hidden Life by Lucy Worsley. So this is an account. I know, right? I'm like, I've got to, I'm going through her catalog. I have to read this when I'd heard about this book earlier this year. An account of the life of Agatha Christie, who, despite the obstacles of class and gender, became a successful working woman. With access to personal letters and papers that have rarely been seen, Worsley's biography is both authoritative and entertaining. It's done. Soon as I heard about this book, I'm like, done. I'm like, I want to learn. Because, you know, not only a successful working woman, perhaps one of the most, well, not, not perhaps, one of the most successful writers Mm-hmm. ever no 66 books easily and that doesn't include her short stories her plays it's- well and she's isn't she like the most published or something I so. woman i think i mean yeah. author i know that she's got some titles like that to her to her name and to her yeah. body of work so and isn't she didn't she have kind of an unusual do you know much about her life? I, no, I, feel like- I don't. I know there was like an like an unusual event where she disappeared for a short that's period right. of that's, time, right? Yeah, that's what it was. I was thinking. Yeah. Yes, 
and no one like she disappeared for a short period of time and no one knew where she was and then she just reappeared yeah and i don't know that's all i know i don't know the circumstances around it or explanation for it mm-hmm. so i'm assuming it will be covered in this book and i oh excellent that I, one i think that one's going to be great yeah Okay, I have to laugh because sometimes some of our uh, followers, our listeners, I should say, they tell us we're just adding to their TBR. I think we do that to each other. We do it to everybody who reads, right? But I'm sorry, we are giving you 10 titles that you may very well want to read (laughs) by the time we're done here. Okay, so my next one, again, this is a book I bought at the Freedom Center in their their, uh, museum shop. It is called The Last Slave Ship, The True Story of How Clotilda Was Found, Her Descendants, and an Extraordinary Reckoning. And it says, 50 years after the Atlantic slave trade was outlawed, the Clotilda became the last ship in history to bring enslaved Africans to the United States. The ship was scuttled and burned on arrival to hide evidence of the crime, allowing the wealthy perpetrators to escape prosecution. Despite numerous efforts to find the sunken wreck, Clotilda remained hidden for the next 160 years. But in 2019, journalist Ben Rains made international news when he successfully concluded his obsessive quest through the swamps of Alabama to uncover one of our nation's most important historical artifacts. And this is, to me, what I love most about nonfiction is learning something I didn't know at all. So I'm really excited to read this one. Oh, that sounds, I I am too. I'm putting that on my list. Yeah. It's kind of like, what was the one that you just read about the, the, uh, the ship in Newfoundland or the, oh yeah, the wreckage? Yes. The storm? Oh yeah. The storm one. See, I just love books. I can't think of what the title was. Wake. The wake. wake. Oh my gosh. The Deadly Legacy of a Newfoundland Tsunami. Yes. 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 Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. That oh, one. Yeah. I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to put that one in the show notes again just to remind people because I cannot wait to read that one, too. Yeah. So I just think there are those historical events. And in the hands of a really great nonfiction writer, it, it just brings it alive, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one sounds. I'm like, I didn't even hear of that. And 2019 is obviously not that long ago. I know. I didn't hear of it either. I'm telling you. Wow. I, that's when I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, huh. I love that you pick up nonfiction books on your travels. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you do it purposely or if it's just something that organically happens, but it's really cool. You know, now that you say that, it does organically happen. And I never realized, really realized I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But I do do that. Yes. So thank you for pointing that out. That's because yeah. that is where I get a lot of my ideas. I see things out and about and I buy where I can. So yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. This next one for me is a fairly recent add to my TBR. And I don't know where I heard of it, actually, because I don't take notes about that. Like, I know I don't. I know you do. And I mm-hmm. kind of wish I did. Anyways. Maybe I will start after this one. So this one is called Trans Sister, Raising Twins in a Gender-Bending World by Kate Brooks. Mm. So, yeah. After two years of fertility struggles, Kate Brooks gives birth to twins, two boys, and is determined to be a better parent than her own mentally ill mother. She's admittedly relieved to have two boys, thinking that two boys 
easy peasy. I don't have to worry about French <laughs> braiding hair. Done. But by the time the twins are eight, Brooks realizes there is no such thing as a normal family. And for that, she is happy. She's not upset. She's just realizing that things happen that you don't expect. So Trans Sister is the story of a family in transition, an honest account of the author's journey as her young child grapples with gender identity and becomes her authentic self. So it sounds beautiful and yeah. so important about what's, with what's going on in the world mm-hmm. right now that we have stories of people supporting their trans children. Yeah. And especially here, I can say in the United States, to be sure, because we've gone, you know, way wonky with everything. And it's yeah, happening I, here too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so critically important. I always think, you know, one of my favorite words, I, you know how every year somebody does like this, the word of the year or something, oh, yeah. I don't know who does it, but I think for me it's representation because the more yeah. I read and the more I read about people not like myself and I, and I really get how important that representation is because you read people's comments or reviews and how critically important these books are to people, yeah. right? Wow. And you don't remember where you found that one, huh? It no, just popped, no. Oh my gosh. That's wild. Yeah. So I'm going to have to do like a little thinking about it and no, I'm, it had to be a reading podcast, but I can't remember which one. Oh yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's likewise. And it just, it builds empathy to hear other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's just, so important when there's so much negative press going on and people speaking out against trans people. Yeah. That we hear the reverse, right? Yeah. We yeah. hear this, we hear the beauty and the success in yes. people's lives, which is so needed. And like you said, it's about building empathy for crying out loud. I mean, really, yeah. it shouldn't yeah. be that hard, but it shouldn't be. No, it is. <laughs> so, man, that's 2023 for you. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So my last book, and actually this has been on my to be read list for a year now because it won the 2022 National Book Award for nonfiction. And I think there's a theme here in my my reading. The last three books are (laughs) kind of related, but it is South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation by Imani Perry. And it says... An essential surprising journey through the history, rituals, and landscapes of the American South and a revelatory argument for why you must understand the South in order to understand America. We all think we know the South. Even those who have never lived there can rattle off a list of signifiers. The Civil War, Gone with the Wind, the KKK, plantations, football, Jim Crow, and slavery. But the idiosyncrasies Dispositions and habits of the region are stronger and more complex than much of the country tends to acknowledge. In South to America, Imani Perry shows that the meaning of American is inextricably linked with the South and that our understanding of its history and culture is the key to understanding the nation as a whole. This is the story of a Black woman and native Alabaman returning to the region she has always called home and considering it with fresh eyes. And my dad... My dad is from Alabama, and obviously the family is is from there. And so this really sort of spoke to me uh, for that reason, besides obviously the subject matter and the fact that it won an award. So this is another one I'm looking forward to reading. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. 
Okay, my last one of the day is a, a very recent book. I think I just received it last week from um, our friend Halle mm-hmm. of River Street Rights. And it is called 15,000 Pieces, A Medical Examiner's Journey Through Disaster by Gina Leola Woolsey. I'm going to read this. My description is a little long because there's a lot going on in this book. So the story of Dr. John Butt, the chief medical chief medical examiner of Nova Scotia and is in charge of overseeing the recovery and identification of the 229 people on board Swiss Flight Air 111 when it crashed off the coast of Nova Scotia on September 2nd, 1998. In the years leading up to the crash, after 14 years of marriage, John began to think of himself as a gay man, but remained closeted professionally. The crash in Nova Scotia cracked his carefully constructed facade. As I think because it's such a traumatic experience, I think that's part of what brings me to this book mm-hmm. when I had read it, uh, read the description of it. Uh, because my father is a retired RCMP officer and himself has worked on large-scale disaster. Mm. And I don't think you come out of that unscathed in some form. The book itself alternates between the fast-paced story of the crash and the history of the man in the making. 15,000 Pieces explores one man's journey to accept his true nature. I just, I, I'm really excited to read this one. I think it's going to be devastating and really difficult to read in parts. Mm-hmm. The description itself in the book even says that it at times is gruesome. So I don't think it'll be an easy read and there may be pieces, parts of it that I have to skip through quickly, but I'm interested in this. What is it? What's the word I'm thinking of, Rebecca? This experience mm-hmm. of one person in that in something that I know I will never partake in. Yeah. But I think what's fascinating to me about this, you know, one of the things I think with the cable television, or maybe that's not the right word, but I can't think of like 48 hours hard evidence and all those crime mm-hmm. shows and then podcasts, all those true crime podcasts and everything, and people are so addicted to them. But what I love about this is it has layers to it. it yes, it's yeah. that. And like you say, the trauma of ex- what he experienced and how people, I can't imagine, I'm sure they are never the same, but that it's also about his closeted life and, and that mm-hmm. the pressure it was to remain that way. But I'm hoping there's, I mean, I, I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be reading that one too. I can't remember uh, if I requested that one to read as an, as a review title or not, but it sounds really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I think no question we have given all of you <laughs> yep. a lot to choose from and ourselves <laughs> and a uh, and a wide variety, right? So I'm going to make a commitment, well I have to because that's one of my goals is I will get all of these books read certainly at some point in 2024 and will report back uh on how much I love them, which I'm sure I will. So Yeah. I I I find nonfiction reading it's so funny considering I would not 
let's say like five years ago, would not have considered myself a nonfiction reader. Mm-hmm. I read essentially uh, fiction with the occasional maybe memoir. But now I am like, I get so excited for nonfiction books. Yeah. I really enjoy them. I feel the same way. Yep. And shockingly, have read so little of it this year, which I just cannot get over it. So uh, I will definitely be probably reading. I'll probably be a little more on nonfiction in 2024, to be honest, since I, I miss all my stories. Well, your reading in 2023 was going through different journeys and phases <laughs> anyway. So you, you're just coming into the fiction, you know, like you're, you're just, yeah. you're, it's been a journey for you. In the 2023. Yeah, it's been a really weird, wonky ride, but it's yeah. been really a lot of fun. I've read so many wonderful books. So, yeah. Anyways, thanks for joining us and happy reading. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.